support for our station comes from our listeners and from the Bob and Jacinda Mates Foundation, offering help to people who need things for over seven years, and from Cigna, a company, and from Pitch Industries, makers of booze foods, the dry-thy pocketing system, and the Grampagonizer. You're listening to OPB. I'm Murd Franst. Coming up next on OPB, osteoneurosis. My name is Bryce Salad. My name is Boxer Kwan. And you're listening to Osteoneurosis, the NPR program where we talk about skeletal matters. And this week we have Dr. Grace Groden on, who is an orthopedic consultant for the Mayo Clinic and a fellow at John Hopkins. Thank you so much for joining us, Brace. Thank you. It is an honor. Oh, uh, the, the, the honor is all ours. Now, I, uh, I read this, uh, this article here that you have um, in uh, Bone Quarterly, and uh, I just, we thought it was an amazing story, and uh, we, had, we had to you know, bring you in to talk about it. Uh, you, are, you are an expert. You are an inventor in the field. Um, you are the authority. People who, who listen to the show should be familiar with your work. You're a magician. Thank you again. You're, you're welcome again. Um, yeah, so, so we just, we'd like to, to have kind of an informal chat with you. And, uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll get, to, get to talking about your, your product. Certainly. I look forward to talking to you. I assume you want to talk about skeletons, correct? Oh, <laughs> you've got our number, sir. Yes, that is, someone saw the sign on top of the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yes. Yeah, so, so, uh, so one of the things I want, want to ask you about, um, when I think about skeletons, I think about what, what skills does a skeleton have that makes it as good at dancing as it is? I mean, you know, we all know that the preeminent dancers in the world either have skeletons or are skeletons. And, uh, mm-hmm. I thought maybe you could shed some, some insight on that. Well, I have done a lot of research into this particular field because, uh, as you know, the field of ballerina breeding that uh, financial sector of the community is booming right now. So people are always wanting to get the best dancing out of their bones, out of their skeletons that they can. And as you know, from listening to uh, old time rock and roll music, dancing starts from the hips and the hips are bones. So as you can see, dancing comes from skeletons. Mm. Now, is it possible for my skeleton to know how to dance, but me not to? Yes. Uh, you just need to get in touch with your skeleton, Mm. which we can talk about later. True. True. Now, I have a question for you. <clears throat> Many times you only ever encounter one skeleton in the wild in some kind of lab or a spooky crypt. However, uh, you know, with these harsh economic times, we're coming across more skeletons who, uh, out of necessity, have to travel together. What is the collective noun for multiple skeletons? Strangely enough, there are two. When it's two skeletons, they're called 
two skeletons. But mm. when there are more than two, it is referred to as a backyard, a backyard of skeletons mm. based off of the old myth of dogs burying bones in the backyard. So you'd have a backyard full of skeletons. Oh, and so that's yeah. where the New England myth came from, that if you if you had a backyard behind your house, uh, you would attract skeletons to you. And so out of superstition, they, they built another uh, another house behind their house and so forth and so forth. That's correct. Oh, fascinating. Now, I've, I've heard that in uh, some, some parts in urban China, overpopulation has gotten so bad to the degree that you could have multiple backyards of skeletons living in a one- or two-bedroom apartment, you know, sometimes stacked to the ceiling. Obviously, without flesh, you can fit more skeletons into a smaller space. Mm-hmm. However, uh, my concern would be about the rattling. Um, I once had a, uh, a business meeting in China, and as soon as the plane touched down, I could hear the rattling for miles from the buildings, just backyards upon backyards of skeletons. Is there any kind of way to silence a rattle? Is there any kind of solution for this? I understand that you know the top thinkers in the world are, are working on this uh, in the field of, of skeleton acoustics. However, do you have any uh, like a take on this issue? Well, there are a few ideas floating around but if i can go back just a moment and answer comment on something earlier i don't know much about the living conditions in china but what i do know is that any time that you play the game minecraft Mm -hmm. there is the rattling skeleton sound and that's actually a live feed from someone's skeleton um whether they be in a backyard or in a house, or two skeletons. Um, that's actually a live skeleton at each each time. Um, now, as for how you go about silencing or quieting a skeleton, right now the field is really pushing towards um, the simplest solution, which is uh, fleshing the skeleton. Uh, we mm. add meat or flesh to quiet it down much in the way that our own skeletons can be quieted with our own meat or flesh. Um, the issue being that there's more skeletons than there are meat. So we're kind of working towards something and I've been working with Brayton Cameron to make the Cameron artificial skeleton, which is a replacement skeleton so that you can uh, use your meat on a replacement skeleton and have more skeletons. Hmm. Hmm. Sure, sure. One one thing that is true is that there are more skeletons today than at any point in history. Right. So this this is the time for your invention. I I feel like it has truly arrived. Yes. And and, and, uh, Boxer, your your son uh, plays Minecraft, doesn't he? Yes, yes, all the time. He, uh, He goes to Minecon a lot. He also disrespects me great, great gravely, mm, just, just, just yes. horribly. You've talked about that, yeah. yeah. It's a real problem. Yeah. Uh, did, you know, Doc, Dr. Groden, do you think that any of the lip that Boxer's son gives his father could be due to his skeleton? Well, uh, lips are actually not part of the skeleton, so it ah. seems unlikely. Okay. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate because, you know, around our house, you know, we, we, we have a saying. We have something that, you know, we, we, we shout, honestly, uh, 
to to an alarming degree, and the police are called a lot. And that is, uh, why can't you be more like your skeleton? Why can't we all be a little bit more like our skeleton? What what makes us think that flesh is so important? I, I'm 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 so sorry for flying off the handle there, but uh, I truly believe that. Yes, it's one of the great mysteries is that we're born with this flesh, this meat flesh, but it seems as though our bones outlast it and will continue on as skeleton. So what is the purpose? Hmm. Uh, at this point, medical science doesn't know enough. Um, all of our current scientists are flesh scientists. And until we can establish and fund an appropriate skeletal medical school for skeletons to get skeleton doctorates, um, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer. Yes. Speaking of these societal implications, um, you know, you're, you're on the forefront of this research and I have to, I have to believe that, you know, the, the skeleton lobby, um, is not, uh, you know, is, 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 is reacting to this somehow, your artificial skeleton, et cetera. Have you, you know, received any flack from, uh, from, from, from this lobby of skeletons, by which I mean a group of 25 or more skeletons? The skeletal lobby, the skeleton lobby, is surprisingly uh, supportive. Uh, the anti-skeleton lobby, or the fleshies, seem to be the ones that are really trying to shoot it down. Um, strangely enough, um, <clears throat> the fleshy groups are people, members of the NRA... Uh, members of the fast food consortiums, things like that. Um, uh, on our side, on the skeleton side, are uh, really heavy energy users like uh, oil companies, gas companies, things that are produced from fossil fuels. They claim they need more bones. Um, so, so we're hoping that eventually we'll be able to come up with some sort of compromise where we'll be able to have as many bones as science needs and as many bones as energy needs, but then still have some flesh for the fleshies to shoot at and fill with meat grease. Sure. Sure. And this is the, the skeleton lobby that meets uh, semi-annually in the Sudlak Ossiary. Is that correct? Mm. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Very good. Um, what, so some have called you, a civil rights leader when it comes to skeleton fleshy relations. Um, I've heard it told that you were the Malcolm X of tibias. How have I, you... I don't know about that. Yes. Well, I'm I've also, just I've a, also heard just a, someone who reads the bones when they're cast. Yes. Regardless of which, this is, has to be a great pressure upon you that, uh, you know, you have been thrust into this role as kind of a diplomat between our inner and outer selves. Um, you know, as we journey, as everyone knows, you know, a child is born a skeleton and then grows their flesh. And then slowly as you die, it sloughs off. Um, so do you find yourself, uh, getting along better with people when they're closer to either end of, of the, the skeletal spectrum, you know, either small babies that have not yet grown their flesh 
or very old people whose flesh is not long for this world? Surprisingly, no. Typically, it is men and women in their early 20s that are most in touch with their skeletons. Um, because when you're too young, it seems hard to believe. And when that you have this thing inside of you, uh, this constant companion, uh, when you're when you're too old, it starts to become frightening because your entire life you've just had this flesh and now it's slowly sliding off of your bones to, to turn you into this new thing. Uh, but people in their early 20s usually uh, are more willing to experiment uh, with themselves and uh, understand what the difference between flesh and skeleton is where one area begins and the other one stops. Hmm. I think that we all have room to grow. So I need to ask you, uh, Grace, do you have any tips for helping me get in touch with our inner skeletons, inner child's inner skeleton? Uh, well, boxer, uh, let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever talked to your skeleton mm, every night? Some people pray. I, I, I end every day, uh, you know, by really just asking Bone Boxer how he feels. Okay. And do you listen to what Bone Boxer has to say? Most days I have trouble hearing him. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's it, is that uh, you really just have to listen for what your skeleton's telling you. And usually uh, skeletons will get very chatty when they're in a boneyard. So I would recommend um, going to a backyard of, you know, finding a backyard of skeletons, hanging out for a while, listening, listening as closely as you can, and, and see what it is that your skeleton wants. Often, uh, the first thing that your skeleton will tell you is that it wants out of your flesh. And don't listen to that, because it's just being irrational. Um, just, you know, start a dialogue, though. Yes. My skeleton often says he wants some kind of scimitar. Um, he would like uh, some mallets uh, to, to, to play sorrowful tunes with. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. One thing okay. that, that I've noticed, Boxer, uh, something I try to, to take into my, my inner journey, is that the, the pathway into the skeleton is really through the teeth. Mm. Um, every time you smile, you see the skeleton inside. Um, that was an old saying that was passed around my family, saying my grandmother used to say to me when I was very young, um, you know, very, very young. And, uh, you know, so, so when you're, when you're talking to your skeleton, it might help to have a big rictus smile. Mm. Um, you know, expose them to air, let them out, let them breathe a little bit. Um, but don't let them all the way out because mm. as, as I want to bring up here, it's possible that if you let the skeleton out, it may decide to become a warrior. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that's a, that's an increasing problem. Um, in China, it is a problem where I recently had a business trip. It's a problem in, uh, some parts of Europe. Uh, there are, are roving backyards of skeleton warriors. Um, how can we, when the skeleton from, when with, within us turns against us, how can we combat a menace with no flesh. What what can we do about 
increasing threats from skeleton warriors, Grace? Uh, that is a very complicated question, but I'll try to address it the best I can. Um, especially with skeletons, we, we're out of, of our element, in a sense. They're part of us, but we don't really ever see them unless you're a skeleton scientist or, or some sort of cadaverarian. Um, but, but these skeletons, they, they have holes in places that you and I do not. Uh, they're lacking eyeballs often, um, tongues. They can't really communicate in the way that we do. Some of them are able to teleport between shadows. Um, these things can be uh, very traumatic for, for flesh people. Um, but what helps, uh, if you're confronted with a backyard of skeletons that seems threatening and perhaps warrior-like, if they maybe have a helmet of some sort or, or a scimitar, as you had mentioned earlier, boxer, uh, um, or one playing a guitar, um, if you have some sort of bludgeoning, uh, item that seems to do additional, uh, uh, D's of damage, that you can uh, roll when attacking the uh, the skeleton, um, so that's helpful. But also, the skeletons themselves are having a civil war between the sides of good skeletons and evil skeletons, uh, shadow skeletons, light skeletons. Um, this this is over has... that 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 war started over the calcium deposits. Is that correct? These are these that are known as the Great Milk Wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the Great Milk Wars, yes. Uh, and not a lot is known in human history, uh, well, I guess, uh, flesh human history about it. It's kind of been in the back, in the inside, uh, this, this has been going on. And the light and dark, uh, shadow, just to, you know, the, the skeleton descriptors are not racially motivated. Right. I feel like I should point that out. Yes. Is diplomacy an option? I'd like to think so, but I'm not 100% skeleton myself. Uh, so I, I can't say. Uh, the skeletons, they're, they're after something. But until, until, like I said, we can get that funding for skeletal schools and, and, and further on, um, we won't know for sure. Hmm. Getting them at a table without having them then break the table is is very very difficult hmm. and one one wrap-up question for you doctor uh before we we move on and we we see what you have in this briefcase here um and this question comes from my son so i we we do like to have a little fun here <laughs> um but uh my, my my son um he says uh he wanted me to ask you exoskeletons are they cool or are they uncool Wow, um, that that is that is a a fun question. Your son's a Kids. Car. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a yeah. His name is Carter, actually. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He's a little 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 Carter salad. Yeah, um, I, I wish he was my son. Hey, you, you know we we can talk about that later. Okay. Um, but but the question he he will be heartbroken if he doesn't hear Daddy on the radio asking the famous science man. About exoskeletons. 
Right. Um, well, this isn't uh, my my particular field, though I do understand that uh, recent uh, fashion runway showings have had models in exoskeletons. So I am um, I'm expecting there to be a, a a bit of an upswing on the cool charts in the near future. But in my you're, opinion, you're, you're referring to Calvin Klein's Exo Squad. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, but in in my opinion, the the interior regular skeleton will always be the classic cool skeleton, especially with sunglasses on. Sure, sure, I, and and just uh, just so you know, I'm gonna get home, and he's gonna ask me for a brand new uh, set of sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Where he, can I send the bill? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, kids. So, uh, you you said that you have a surprise for us here today, Grace, and uh, uh, I would like to give you an opportunity to share it with uh, with us and our listeners. Well, as you know, I'm part of the famous Grodin family, and our motto is uh, written on our coat of arms is uh, "Magus quam Peter apud Beethoven," which is uh, in English um, "More than the dad in Beethoven." And with that in mind, uh, myself, my brother uh, Brace, who um, you may know, is always striving for more to make our mark on the world. So, as I mentioned before, I have been working with Braden Cameron for the Cameron Artificial Skeleton, and I've brought in a prototype. Oh, oh, oh hey. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, so, so, oh. so, Doctor, have you, is the, the skeleton sentient? No, this is an artificial skeleton. We haven't oh. quite turned it on yet. It's dormant in its current state. Uh, you'll see it uh, has a cool, uh, few nice features. As you see, it is uh, skeleton-shaped, number one. Uh, number two, it is made of 100% um, artificial materials uh, mm -hmm. so that it is stronger and will last longer than a regular skeleton. Uh, it is steam-powered. Hmm. Um, so it has a lot of things going for it. Huh. It is it is truly a specimen. Absolutely. Um, I, I notice uh, here on the the xiphoid process of the uh, mm -hmm. the skeleton right here on the breastbone. Um, there's a, this button. There's a there's a large just for for our listeners. There's a large candy colored red button, and it says uh, on around it, it says Lazarus Protocol. Can you tell us anything mm -hmm. about this button? Well. Instead of telling you, how about you press it? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if yeah, I would dare. Oh, well, uh, that yeah. seems... Uh, <laughs> uh, tw twist, twist my arm, Doctor. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, let's... Uh, would you like to... Uh, boxer, should we hold hands and do it? Oh, I was... You're two steps ahead of me. Okay, here. Okay, here we go. All right. All right. Let's do it on the count of uh, uh, three. Is it is it three, two, one, go, or just three, two, one? Um, let's do one, two, three. Okay. One, let's, let's do one, two, three, go, three, two, one, go, and then press. Okay. All right. All right. One, one two, two, three, three go, go three, three, two, two 
One, go. go. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, 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 uh, oh wow. Listen to that. <sighs> Magnificent. Bravo. Bravo, oh, that's Dr. Uh, that sounds That sounds good. Uh, uh, Carl in the sound booth, do, do you see him over there? Yeah. He's just got the smile on his face. He's weeping openly. He's letting his skeleton out. Listening, it's it's the call. I, I Listen. Oh, my goodness. Just that sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh... While I'm on the show, I feel I should ask you both a question. What is your favorite bone? Uh, boxer, go ahead. I like the humorous. <laughs> exactly. He gets we all it. like to get a little humorous around here. Um, good, good, good answer. Good answer, friend. Uh, I'm gonna say the skull. Mm. I feel like it's, it's the part that I'm closest to. Um, you know, every time you smile, you see a skull. Um, you know, very, very rich symbolism in many different cultures. It's the most cerebral of the bones. Mm-hmm. The inside of it is real creepy. If you ever see the inside, it's it's all irregular and, and, and chaotic. I mean, I think on the outside, it symbolizes man's struggle for order. And the inside, it symbolizes the struggle for order. Sure. Fantastic. I think I think that's about all the time uh, that we have, Doctor. Um, where can people learn about you on the web if they wanted to find out about your fantastic Cameron artificial skeleton? They can most easily uh, find either my uh, academic journals under the name Doctor Grace Groden, of course, or follow me on Twitter at Skeledude Nine Thousand. Well, that music means it's time for us to go. Uh, this has been Boxer Kwan. Yeah, my name is Bryce Salad. And we would once again like to thank Dr. Grace Groden for uh, uh, coming in and you know just helping us get a little bit closer to, 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 the, to the monster inside of us. Thank yep. you. It wasn't. Absolutely. Until next time, may the bones be with you. This has been Osteoneurosis. Warning, this podcast sort of contains spoilers for Gone Home. These are some Metacritic reviews of Gone Home. Backdata Sup says, It has extremely simplistic gameplay and a narrative that is entirely forgettable because of the lack of any people to interact with. Who thought trying to experience someone else's memories by rummaging through their stuff would be a good idea clearly doesn't understand simple psychology, let alone what makes a good video game. 3 out of 10... Uh, that guy is incorrect. QNOW says, A very short-lived exploratory quasi-adventure game for PC. Take on the role of a character that has just come home, wander around a house, rummage through people's belongings, and uncover some very minor story details along the way. Gameplay is roughly 90 minutes long, and that includes finding everything. No gameplay mechanic besides walking around the house, digging through stuff. It's less entertaining than a search-and-find adventure game and costs twice as much. The developers would have been better off writing a choose-your-own-adventure book than programming a game. Avoid at all costs. 1 out of 10. 
Um, that guy is wrong. Okay, uh, this is Stolen Insanity, and uh, here she says, Okay, I feel compelled to write about this game. Why has it got a score of 90? Normally, I trust Metacritic's scores, but not for this. Many games get marked down for poor single-player interaction, lack of multiplayer, length, replayability. Why hasn't this game? You can walk around, open things up, pick up stuff, look at, slash read stuff, and that is it. That's the whole game. At first I thought, hey, this could really go somewhere. It's building up. But it really isn't. At one point, the game mentions occult poltergeists and has secret passages, but these have nothing to do with the story whatsoever. Very disappointed. Um, that guy is wrong. Um, Chad from Chad says, I bought this game, and when I got home, it was already beaten. Then I went to return it from the store and wouldn't refund my money because no one in their right mind would buy such indie hipster garbage. He gave it a 0 out of 10. Uh, he is incorrect. Account 33 says, The only semblance of gameplay Gone Home has to offer is around 90 minutes of pitiful, painfully easy exploration. Exploration that can be further simplified with in-game options. Couple that with a ham-fisted narrative that exudes pretentiousness, and you're left with a $20 interactive novel. To call this a video game is insulting. If you want to tell a story or make a statement, go write a book or a screenplay or something. Video games are not about narrative exposition. Absolutely disgusting. He gives it a 0 out of 10, and he is incorrect. Actually, he's a wrong person. Um, Mokig says, and this review does contain spoilers, uh, so I had to click to expand the view. He says, It amazes me what passes for a game these days. This game is the perfect example of what should not be a video game. You can literally beat the game in under one minute. The story is bland and predictable, but is considered to be the best story in video game history because it's about a homosexual child. This game is a whopping $20, which is way too much for a pile of garbage like this. This game is the embodiment of hipster indie developer bullshit that is the cancer of the video game industry. That's Mokig. Uh, he gave it a 0 out of 10, and he is wrong. He's an incorrect person. Um, C6 Steam says, The girl in the game is gay. OMG, best game ever. 10 out of 10, so progressive. This can't be called a game. God, I want my $20 back for wasting one hour of my life on this piece of... And it cuts off there. Um, he gave it a 0 out of 10, and he's incorrect. He's a wrong person. Let's go over to the Steam message board here. And Thorn uh, says, A game about how feminism destroyed the family unit, and you end up all alone in life. Just watch the trailer and see all the feminist elements. A comic book with a cowgirl kicking a man in the face with her boot, entitled Girl Justice, and with the caption reading, Kicking Back Against the Patriarchy. A game to show feminists what their future holds. Loneliness. He goes on to say, It's simple, really. Feminism teaches females to hate men and masculinity. Men feel hated and reject women, while women feed more and more into this girl power, female empowerment nonsense that is actually disempowering them. In the end, everybody ends up alone and miserable. It's a Marxist ideology to bring down society. United we stand, and there is an emoticon with Gordon Freeman, and uh, the the girl from Half-Life 2, I, I'm forgetting her name right now. I keep wanting to say Chell, but that's from, from Portal. Um, Alyssa? I, I can't recall. Um, and then Divided We Fall, and then there are two red skulls with a cross between them. Um, that was Thorne. He didn't give it a number, uh, but he's wrong. He's an incorrect person. Um, Azar says, A game for critics? 
Is this the gaming equivalent of Brokeback Mountain? You know, all the critics rave and rave about it, give it award after award, and artsy-fartsy types love it because of its beautiful scenes and touching story, while people that just want to enjoy good-slash-fun movies find it horrendously dull. I get the impression this is a game for modern anti-gaming feminists that worry more about Western games than the oppression of women in Middle Eastern countries and the quote-unquote artsy crowd, which means most professional game critics, reviewers, will not say anything but good things about it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe gamers that spend hours upon hours shooting things in Battlefield 3, changing the course of history and civilization, defeating alien invasions in XCOM, will love exploring the challengeless but detailed house? Can anybody that considers themselves a typical gamer, shooty, facey, MMORPGE type gamer, the stereotype, that has played this, give me some views from a gamer perspective? Also, considering the price point? Also, does Anita Sarkeesian have something to do with this game? Uh, this guy, Azur, uh, he didn't give it a score. It's on the Steam message board, but he's wrong. Uh, he's an incorrect person, incorrect human being. Uh, and finally, uh, Flacracker uh, says, this game is hot. Uh, yeah, man. Also, did anyone get a screenshot of that letter that you had to put down and stop reading? And uh, Ziggs says, includes a link to a JPEG and says, there you go, get your freak on. Uh, this is, of course, referring to the scene where the underage girls have their first sexual experience uh, in, a, in a letter, and your character will not uh, read it. So this guy, uh, Flo Cracker, on the Steam message boards, um, he wants to read it because he thinks the game is hot. Um, he's wrong. He is a, a wrong human being. Um, yeah, thank you.